Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. There are always going to be vulnerabilities regardless of if you host it on-prem or if you outsource it. But the big motivation behind outsourcing is that the rate at which they're able to fix and remediate yeah. those issues is, in many cases, orders of magnitude faster than if you had this stuff running locally in your own data center or in your own cloud. It's not easy and it takes time away from other operations, honestly, which it's tough to quantify, yes, but there are real world impacts to these sorts of business decisions. Hi, and welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darren Kinlan, VP of Technology here at Fletch. And with me each week and every week is my co-host, Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. Hey, welcome back to the show, Chris. Uh, thanks. I damn near jumped out of my chair. There's a big lightning storm here. So if may get may get circumvented by my internet. It scared me. No worries. Yeah, yeah threats <laughs> come even from Mother Nature, right? Yes, they do. Yeah, this week's a little bit of a, a bye week in terms of guest speakers, but we got a bunch more lined up next couple of weeks. So with that, let's check in on the threat landscape and see how things have been shaping up for the beginning of Q2. Surprise, surprise. I think we're hitting a new major milestone. It seems like we ended, what, April Fool's expecting there to be a little bit of a lull, but no, I, I think we're going to probably hit more and more frequent threats in Q2 from what it sounds like. Does that track on your end, Chris? It sure does. I mean, we're seeing so many more groups start popping up left and right. I mean, there's a new one out of Europe. And, you know, I think it's really become, as the global economy kind of goes down, the, the cottage industry of hacker as a service is, is going way up. So these people have to pay their bills too. Makes sense. So digging into the numbers a little bit, we see that there were 18 new threats emerging over the past week. Six that went to trending, six that went mainstream, and six that went inactive. Wow, seems ominous. But the reality is the internal transitions appear to be pretty low compared to last week. Clearly, we've had many more threats that appear to be resurrected. Maybe they were old threats and they just went dormant for a while and then they came back as opposed to ones that are brand new, fresh, that we've never seen before. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this here in a second, but you know, there's there's so many old vulnerabilities that folks are going after again that, you know, quite frankly, people don't patch, they don't update, they don't, you know, that these guys are finding that. So, you know, we've talked about this in the past is, you know, resurrecting old methods and, you know, yeah. these, you know the techniques to hit after, you know, oldie but goodies. Absolutely. So let's dig in. Let's let's check out some of the ones that we're talking about. We've got a very old vulnerability that was used in the C3X supply chain attack, some vulnerabilities that were newly discovered with Samba, a tax filing threat that we discovered that was reported in the past week, as well as a naming convention snafu between <laughs> former cybersecurity companies and ransomware groups. First on our list, when we talked about the C3X saga from last week, if you recall, attackers compromised a very popular soft phone provider known as C3X that delivers VoIP for Fortune 500, Global 1000 organizations. And it turns out that nested within the malware was actually legitimate signed libraries. Yeah that you know you would think that okay if the attacker is adding their own custom code to these libraries it would cause the signatures to no longer be valid right 
and that's the whole purpose, right, of signed binaries is so that the operating system can trust that nothing's been tampered with and you can execute it with less restrictions. But in fact, these attackers managed to include malicious code that tricked the operating system into still thinking that the libraries were trusted. It turns out that this particular vulnerability was known and fixed 10 years ago. And yeah. you might be wondering, well, why the heck is this still a thing? Why, why is this still a problem now? And it turns out this is like the tale of, you know, good intentions gone awry, right? Back when Microsoft first discovered this problem, you know, back in 2013, they realized, yeah, we could invalidate any, any libraries that have this trailer data in them. But doing so would cause a whole bunch of legitimate apps to break. For example, Google Chrome tacks on into their browser's binary, you know, information to say, hey, if you want to send crash reports or stats whenever Google crashes, we can keep track of that state with this trailer section of their signed binary. And it turns out Google's not the only one that was using it this way. There were a bunch of other apps using this way. And so Microsoft said, you know what, we're, we're not going to enforce this mechanism by default, but we'll leave it as an opt-in thing, which is like the death knell for any security. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Um, yeah. A lot of unintended consequences. Just Exactly. So in order to opt-in, you need to apply some sort of registry fix. And oh, by the way, anytime you upgrade Windows or patch Windows, chances are that registry fix gets reverted. So this basically ensures that this good intentions fix never actually gets applied in practice, which is precisely what happened here. Um, so Microsoft is proposing, hey, use Windows Defender or some other EDR to protect you. But the reality is there's already built in operating system level mechanisms to, to fix and address this. We're hoping that Microsoft steps up and does the right thing and in, in actually rolling out a proper fix this time. But who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. My, my guess is they will. They can't keep going back and unintended consequences of trying to do the right thing. Yeah, it's, it, they'll, they'll eventually do the right thing. It probably won't be anytime soon or this just goes away. Yeah. So in any event, they're clearly... <laughs> things that you can do as a defender to address this, but yeah. sometimes simple mechanisms that are actually available within the operating system can protect against even, you know, real world recent threats that you just have to go in and discover and figure out how to enable those features in order to make them useful from a defense basis. Yeah. Next on our list is a vulnerability set of vulnerabilities discovered within Samba, which is kind of the open source version of Windows file shares, right? So if you're a mixed organization that has both Windows and Linux systems, you may run a Samba file share as a means to provide access for both types of systems in a hybrid environment. Turns out that Samba can also be used to mimic a Windows Active Directory domain controller. <laughs> so <Yeah>. users can, <laughs> can actually auth in to a Samba server rather than paying an expensive license for directory servers or domain controllers, you can use Samba instead. The problem was that the vulnerability actually allows attackers to, I think, anonymously steal BitLocker recovery keys mm -hmm. that were published through Samba's domain controller which is not good. Now, keep in mind, BitLocker was designed as a mechanism to 
provide full disk encryption for all of your Windows systems, you know, any sort of Windows laptop that might be traveling. If an attacker steals that Windows system and it's powered off, and then now they need to recover all the data in that environment, they need the recovery key in order to do so. And if you're using Samba as your domain controller, then yeah, this could potentially impact you. Yeah, I mean, it impacts small businesses, really. This harkens back to what my mom used to tell me all the time is, son, don't put sensitive information in Active Directory if you don't want to lose it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's for keys and passwords. Yeah, it's... uh, She was very, very adamant about that. I had no idea she was talking about, but now I know. But yeah, that's a, you know, there's a small, small businesses that, you know, cheap businesses, a lot of kind of smaller network operation guys will be affected by this, but it's a lesson in not putting sensitive information into AD. And Active Directory is such a complicated protocol to begin with. Uh, Getting it right all the time is difficult. It's hard. Even Microsoft struggles with it from time to time. So it's not surprising that these, these sorts of issues come up. Well, this, this is the first place they start looking for privileged access and PAM and mm-hmm. all those types of things. This Active Directory is kind of the main big glowing target. And yep. um, I certainly would never use Samba for Active Directory, but you know, I'd go with Cypress or Azure or something like that. But um, I'll tell you, this is an interesting way to go about it. I'll tell you that much. I think this is another reason why you know organizations might want to consider cloud-managed infrastructure for this, just because this is such a weird corner case and it's so hard to discover and patch. You're better off just letting a third-party cloud service handle this, honestly. This is interesting. This is an interesting point, Darian, they brought up because this week I've had several calls with some major, major Fortune 10 financial services, insurance companies, folks like that talking about IT outsourcing and things like that. And these are, these are billion dollar, uh, these are billion dollar deals that they do. And they're looking at it from a cost perspective. And the one thing that we really always were advising every single one of our clients is don't host your email system. Don't host your active directory, outsource all that. It's easy to do. And Office 365 is a perfect example of that. And you look at what happened late last year, I guess, through Rackspace, you know, the hosted exchange side of that. All those companies had their own hosted exchange platforms in the Rackspace infrastructure. And then, you know, they, they all got taken out. For our advice to enterprise customers or anybody, like anybody who has a business, is just outsource the damn thing. <laughs> it's easy. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, yeah, to be crystal clear, there are always going to be vulnerabilities regardless of if you host it on-prem or if you outsource it. But the big motivation behind outsourcing is that the rate at which they're able to fix and remediate those issues is, in many cases, orders of magnitude faster than if you had this stuff running locally in your own data center or in your own cloud. It's not easy and it takes time away from other operations, honestly, which it's tough to quantify, yes, but there are real world impacts to, you know, making these these sorts of business decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's got its pros and cons, you know, the obviously the number one is kind of moving the moving costs. Cost is normally about 90% of the decision process there to outsourcing, but the challenge is you lose control, you you have change orders, you've got scope creep, all the kinds of things like that that happen. But there's certain things, you know, especially with SaaS, 
why not just outsource everything to SaaS? I mean, it's just that much easier because you get past the skills gap but make security somebody else's problem. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You, you do lose that control though. But this right here, I mean, yeah, we kind of digressed, but this is, you know, I think this is something that is very, hit me on the head. Don't even, you know, why would you do this? But outside of that, I think though that this is an easy, easy one to get around and well, you're Samba for Active Directory, just. <laughs> exactly, it's just weird. So next on our list is actually pretty relevant, pretty timely. If you're filing taxes come April 15th or 17th or 18th, depending upon where the official tax day falls on a weekend, you're probably in the midst of doing all that. Keep in mind that there are many different ways to file taxes. And one of those ways using a third-party service called efile.com was recently compromised. It was caught serving JavaScript malware that ultimately caused full-blown malware to be installed on your system if you went through and you know clicked on all of the unsuspecting prompts to install this otherwise legitimate tax filing software. This is certainly timely if you're trying to, as an attacker, if you're trying to go after soft targets, people that are rushing to get something done, they might not necessarily read all the information or easily click on something that they think is supposed to be legitimate and in fact isn't. This is how attackers gain access to many organizations, including small and medium-sized businesses. And to be crystal clear, there was certainly a lead up to this particular attack, right? It wasn't just like they waited until the 11th hour to compromise the site. Apparently back in, I think January, the ransomware group Lockbit claimed that they had compromised efile.com. Yep. So there could be a relationship between that timeline and you know all the all the attacks that are going on specifically hosted on this infrastructure. But clearly, a lot of these attackers take advantage of current events, specifically time-sensitive events, to get people to inadvertently click on things and get compromised. Good God. If you can't trust the government, especially the IRS, who can you trust now? I mean, my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this happened we see this pretty much every year i think and the thing with this this one is kind of sad because you kind of alluded to is this will affect people who have very simple not complicated tax returns they may not be most savvy people in the world they're possibly lower on the lower income side of it just because of the fact that they can't afford to have high power cpa or whatever but the, unfortunately this this is malware for the masses and it, this is going to affect a lot of people that they just don't even know like you said they'll just click it oh man I gotta, right. the government says i need to do it click and so yep. but thankfully they're hiring eighty five thousand new people to come and take care of all that so, <laughs> so. hopefully we'll see the yeah. effects of that in 2024 maybe we'll see Yeah. And then uh, last on our list, we talked about last week, there was a naming snafu between malware that was called, I think, Max Dealer and a vulnerability also named Max Dealer. Well, these naming mishaps happen in many other ways. This is another example. If you're familiar with historical security vendors' names, there used to be a EDR vendor named Silence, and they actually got acquired by BlackBerry a couple of years back. And now, completely unrelated, a ransomware group has surfaced, again, donning the name Silence, that Palatin Networks Unit 42 researchers have discovered that's targeting both Linux and Windows devices. 
So this is expected. Pretty sure this threat group picked a name that was intentionally confusing to get people to think, oh, this is trusted software. Don't worry about it. As opposed to, oh, this is actually something that's bad, right? So this happens many times over. And it's another reason why being a security operator can be quite confusing and uh, frustrating at times when you're trying to be able to reconcile, okay, is this, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing, right? Yeah, I know that we, we keep harping on this, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is truly revenge porn for hackers. And <laughs> this could also be just some some guy that got laid off from silence and has a bone to pick. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. You know, there's, do we need a glass door website for bad actor groups? This place is great to work. This one's management here sucks. But you're right. It does get confusing. And, and if you go to some of the other publications that are out there, the first thing it says on the headline is, please do not confuse silence with BlackBerry silence. So that's... Right. It's a problem. And it's you know, for a lot of these companies like BlackBerry, they're trying to revamp and rebuild their image. This doesn't help. You know, people just glance over things. Oh, silence. Ooh, yeah. So it goes back to the whole naming conventions. And like I said, we as practitioners need to get better at communicating and identifying what's real, what's not. That's, we have to think like bad guys. And it's funny, these guys are so far ahead of us. So. This is where, as we mentioned before, names come from many different sources, right? Yeah. Security researchers, even attackers will try to come up with unique pithy names. And unfortunately, there is no standard for this, yeah. and it adds to the confusion, right? So yeah, this is not something that is unique. It happens more frequently than you might otherwise think. And it can make defenders' lives a lot harder to be able to explain and clarify and speak clinically about these issues because otherwise it can be very confusing. And if you're trying to move very quickly, it makes you prone to make mistakes about what to trust and not to trust in this environment. I guess now you and I have to change the name of our hacker group to Microsoft Ransomware. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. But uh, Right. Right, right. DBA, yeah, doing business as, but just to kind of don't want to downgrade the severity of this as a real world nasty ransomware group and people need to know what they are. So at least it's rememberable. Yeah, Yeah, they picked a memorable name, that's for sure. Sure did. (laughs) So that wraps up our threats for the week. Next week, we'll have a gentleman named Chris Camacho, who is currently head of Flashpoint and Ninja Jobs, former head of security over at Bank of America. Should be very interesting considering all of the latest fallout from SVB and all the other banks. We'll be able to get what his perspective is around these threats as well. Looking forward to that one. That's going to be really interesting. Absolutely. Just as a reminder for all of our audience, please, if you have any questions either related to what we talked about this week or what's coming up in future weeks regarding our upcoming chat with Chris Camacho, please DM us at The Threat Show. We'd love to take any questions and incorporate them into our sessions as well. Real quick before we jump out, we're taking the show on the road. We're going to be at RSA coming up. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Super looking forward to that, man. See your bright, shiny face in person and out from the black wall. We'll be at RSA the entire time. Schedules are pretty filled, but if if you want to meet up with us and say hi, we'd love to see you. Absolutely. Thanks. And we'll be back next week with more threats. Outstanding. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube. 
Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and the Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.